Welcome to My Emmy Story, a podcast about real life and real stories. This podcast is a product of Michelle's Events, where we bring your stories to life. Log on to MyEmmyStory.com to learn more about us, see some of our work, check out our partners, find out more about our guests, or listen to extended guest conversations. Now, join our co-hosts, Denise and Robbie Jerome, as they talk with our next guests to discover their story. Well, welcome to My Emmy Story. I am Denise Jerome, here with my husband, Robbie, and we are excited to kick that off at the first of the year with someone who has a lot of experience in the world of millennials and keeping your workforce happy. I'd like to introduce Kara Saletto, who is the President and Chief Retention Officer of Magnet Culture. And Kara works with organizations to reduce unnecessary employee turnover because she is great at bridging the gap, this generational gap between the managers and making their roles more effective. And she is also the author of a 2018 book, Staying Power, Why Your Employees Leave and How to Keep Them Longer. She's been quoted by many business publications that have labeled her as a game changer. Welcome, Kara. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Well, we are glad to have you. And um, being as how I've, I've heard you speak uh, more than once, um, you have some great information, especially some very innovative things when it comes to dealing with the workforce today. So I'm excited to explore those. That uh, as usual, we would like to take a step back and just kind of see who Kara is and how you got here. So tell us a little bit about your history and, and your upbringing. Sure. So I grew up in Southern Indiana, but just outside of the Louisville metro area. And I um, really had a pretty uneventful (laughs) upbringing as far as my family and not too much adversity that we had to overcome, um, but absolutely influenced by my mom, who I spent most of my time with. Um, She is such an uber optimistic person, and that's where I get a lot of my positivity from. And she would say things like, if we were sitting in traffic, well, at least we're not the reason for the traffic. So she would always find that silver lining or, you know, it could be worse type of mentality. And that tends to be how I am today. So I'm going to guess you are a millennial. Yes. As you use that quite a bit. Yes. In your, in your upbringing. So what are some things that you think from just in your childhood and where you came from that were factors in the way that maybe the mindset that you have as a millennial today? So much of the way that we see the world as adults comes from your upbringing. And so I was one of the oldest millennials, but I was born in a time when we had drive throughs for example. So at seven years old, I got to special order, no mustard. <laughs> and so when I didn't want mustard, I didn't have to eat mustard versus a lot of my friends that are baby boomers or even Gen Xers that they were told, if you don't eat what's on the dinner table, you go to bed hungry. And so I was just raised with a lot more options and a lot more choices. And my mom gave me a vote and a voice as a kid, even at home. It was, what do you want for dinner? And where do you want to go this weekend? What do you want to do, Kara? And I found out later in my career that the millennial generation was really um, the one that, for the most part, got those choices and had a vote. And of course, when we got into the work world and became adults, 
nobody wanted our opinion and nobody thought that we mattered, <laughs> just like every newbie before us. So instead, you know, I came into the work world thinking that they want my two cents, don't they? And I was quickly squashed and did not, you know, did not get my voice heard. Um, but I just didn't know that that's the way it had always been done, that you have to pay your dues first and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, there's so many things as kids that impacted me as an adult. My, my parents did get divorced when I was young, so I didn't grow up in a home that, you know, saw that lifelong commitment and whatnot. It wasn't a travesty that they did get divorced. It was, I had a good childhood, but it does impact your view on loyalty and commitment and things like that. And then in my 90s, in the 1990s, my mom was laid off multiple times from corporate jobs. Every single time she would just have her whole department eliminated because they were outsourcing or offshoring or consolidating with another department or uh, something like that. And so there were definitely things that happened during that time that made me uh, have a different view on the company employee relationship. <laughs> and what does that look like? And what does loyalty look like? And things like that, for sure. So let's like take a step back too, because I'm sure that you didn't just start off in the speaking world, right? With the magnet culture. So how did you, where did, where did you come from as far as your job history and the way that the pendulum swung for you on that one to build the company that you currently have right now? Yeah. So I started my career as an event planner. And I was doing uh, corporate and association type events. I actually worked for a trade association for a while and ran all of their trade shows, convention, conference, all their education. And I used to hire keynote speakers. And I just thought, man, that would be such a cool job someday because a part of my childhood also included a lot of performance. I grew up in a family band, like the Partridge family, believe it or not. Uh, we had matching outfits and we sang on stage for weddings and holiday parties for companies and festivals and whatnot. And so I have been on stage my entire life since at least age four, if not before that. Uh, and from about age, I don't know, seven or eight until maybe 11 years old, 12 years old, um, we had a family band, just my mom, my dad, my sister and I. So I had this performance background and had done theater through high school and college. And then having the event planner side and seeing, wow, I'm hiring these keynote speakers that are doing pretty much a one man show on stage for a whole hour with no notes and nobody else to talk to. And it was like this big performance. So at that age, 24 years old or so, I didn't have a message or any credibility or anything specific to say, but I planted the seed that maybe someday down the road, that would be a good career for me. And sure enough, I got my graduate degree, my MBA in entrepreneurship. I lived overseas for a while. And then when I came back, I said, you know, I think it's time for me to go out on my own and I'm going to start training and speaking. And what we found was everyone was talking at that point about millennials. They were complaining about millennials and complaining about boomers and <laughs> everybody in between. And so I decided to build a speaking and training business at that time around the generational discussion and the generational dynamic workplace 
And then that was 2012. Um, And then as I expanded my business more, we realized that the business problem we were solving was really reducing employee turnover. That was why you need to bridge the generational gaps and and the problems in that space. So in 2015, we kind of rebranded our approach and decided to focus on all things retention. Why do people leave? Why do they stay? Are they telling you the truth when they leave? (laughs) Is it really just for 50 cents more an hour? Or is it in reality because it's not a great place to work or they don't like their manager? that type of thing. So we really just have expanded over the last few years and even shifted from being more of a speaking company now to using speaking to drive more of our training business. So we have balanced that with speaking and training and a little bit of consulting and online courses and uh, more products as well right now. I'm the younger end of the baby boomers. So I've, I've been, you know, in the workforce for a long time, as you can understand. So you talk about employee turnover and retention, which is, you know, a fantastic subject. But what do you, when you go into organizations and you uh, kind of do your deep dive, do you see more of the issues on the employee side? Well, that's a great question. So a lot of people... A lot of people look at the past success of the business world and they say, we did things successfully for decades, right? We had people work hard. It was head down, get the job done, stay late, stay till the job gets done, do what it takes, even if it's not in your job description, right? We had this time where we had success of just leaning on the employees to just do it, figure it out. Well, if you look at the demographics of the generations, there were 80 million baby boomers, only 60 million Gen Xers in the middle, and the Gen Xers were born about 1965 to 1980, give or take. Then from 1980 to 81 to 1996, you have the millennials, and that was another group of 80 million millennials. So we actually have this hourglass of demographics. And the reason I bring that up to answer your question is because Most of the Gen Xers, since they were smushed into the middle of that hourglass between the giant bookends of boomers and millennials, most of the Gen Xers fell in line and they did what their bosses told them to do because their bosses were bigger than they were. Not only supervisors, but also just a giant cohort uh, that they had to play by the boomer rules. In fact, a lot of Gen Xers tell me that they figured out pretty early in their career, if they wanted to succeed, they had to play that boomer game and follow the definitions and expectations of professionalism and work ethic, which by the way, are subjective. It is your opinion, whether you think my purple hair, yes, I know you can't see it, but I have purple hair and it's your opinion, whether my purple hair is professional or unprofessional. So what happened is the baby boomers set these rules of how to work and what those expectations were. Most of the Gen Xers fell in line. And then the millennials came in and said, whoa, 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 the way it's always been done is pretty old school. 
and you have not evolved with the workforce over time. So I do want to have purple hair. I am not going to work 60 hours a week on a 40 hour a week salary. Uh, I'm not going to give up and sacrifice all these holidays with my family. If you're not going to pay me more to work those extra days or give me some choices on those things. So the millennials started pushing back and that's why so many people think, oh, well, these young people, they, they don't have any, um, you know, they don't understand the expectations. They have no work ethic. They're lazy. They're entitled and all of this stuff. When in reality, the businesses in most cases just pushed and pushed and squeezed and squeezed the workers as hard as they could. And now our entire workforce has said, enough is enough. I'm not working, like I said, 60 hours on a 40-hour salary. And I'm not going to work all this overtime and be away from my children when they're growing up because I have friends who are older than me and they looked back when their kids were teenagers and said, oh, I totally miss their childhood. Don't do that, friend. Be there for your kids. Be at the game. Not only be at the game, go coach the game. <laughs> you know, be involved and don't let work rule your life, which is what happened for many generations and for many people where work was number one, whether that was the obligation of it or just the expectations or the lifestyle creep that they felt like, well, I live this certain lifestyle and I have to make this much money to have this lifestyle and I'm not going to downsize, which means I have to work this many crazy hours and whatnot. So there's lots and lots of reasons that that, that happens. But that's why I think people blame the younger workers or the employees, like they need to change. They need to work harder. When my argument to answer your question would be the companies need to take a really good look at workloads and have you gotten rid of middle management layers that are needed for mentoring and supervising and coaching your people? Or did we kill all those middle management and middle supervisor levels to get more productivity, more profitability, work, 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 you know, that's just not sustainable because we're humans. We're not robots yet. So for 10 years, I worked for a Fortune 100 company here in Louisville. Um, and, you know, they started doing their annual surveys, employee surveys, you know, about how you feel about this or how you feel about that, which was great. However, there were several, I would say, manager director level people that had a history of not being a very good manager. But what I thought was always interesting was they never did anything to those people yeah. that were low performers year after year after year. And so how do you address that with an organization if you're doing these employee surveys and you've got, you know, let's say a couple let's say director level people that are just pulling the organizational da organization down. How do you address that from your perspective? Sure. So we always address the cost of employee turnover and different organizations do that a little differently. But if it's hourly workers, you're often looking at overtime costs, temp agency costs, you know, those types of things. Or if it's a higher skilled workforce with more education, for example, you're looking at recruiter fees to fill positions and whatnot. So we go to the, what is it costing to lose people? 
And then we identify where the weaker areas are, which oftentimes is managers who have not been given the tools to be successful. So those managers are costing the company tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in unnecessary churn and unnecessary turnover of the employees that we don't want to lose. And is it worth keeping that person in that role? Um, If that manager is coachable, then the company should invest in the management training and management development and coaching to get that person up to be a better communicator, uh, more appreciative of their staff, you know, um, all kinds of things, emotional intelligence and, and different things that they can improve upon. If that manager is not coachable, we encourage them to move that person if they're not going to separate them completely from the company, then to move them to a non-management role. They might be a great person, technically speaking. They are the best person at that job. It does not mean they have to lead the team, okay? So I think of an engineer, just as an, a generic example here, that you know you do not make your best engineer the engineering manager, because that may not be the same skill set and they may not be good at managing others, but the team doesn't want somebody like that, that they have to report to. They'd rather have a better communicator and more people person, even if they're not the best engineer. So then you make a different path for your great engineer to be the senior technical advisor or some other path for promotion. It doesn't include managing other people. We don't have to be so linear with our promotions anymore. Yeah. So for 10 years at night, I was teaching business classes at a university here in town. And one of the concepts I was teaching my students was what I call net value principle. Mm-hmm. We, we know net value around the financial side, but I was teaching it around the employee side. So what is the net value of a employee, manager, director, vice president? So if you do a, if you do a pros and cons, right? So if, if your numbers come down to the net value is low or negative, yeah. then you've got to figure out. So it takes the personal aspect out of it and puts it into a business sense. And I just think that works. If you look at the net value of something, mm-hmm. you put and say, Let's make a business decision, not a personal decision, but a business decision on how that should be addressed. So uh, it's a kind of same path that you were looking at. You know, what's the net value of that person bringing to the team? Absolutely. And a lot of times when I'm speaking at HR conferences or working with the HR professionals or operations, you know, middle management or directors, we have to sit down and make the case for getting the management training and development into the building or organization. So we have to crunch those kind of numbers. We've got to come up with the ROI. If we spend X number of dollars on training the managers, here's how much percentage we think the turnover can come down and all the savings that's attached to that. Um, What are these people worth? And depending on their role, sometimes it's not just the money that you're paying the person, it's their relationships that's so valuable to the company or it's their troubleshooting knowledge because they've been there a long time and they know an example of every scenario that they can troubleshoot. So yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm going to 
go back to something that you did say, you gave an example a while ago of creative, what I would call creative advancement. So kind of, you said, everybody doesn't have to be linear. You can deviate and form your own path for somebody, maybe who's not necessarily a manager or whatever. How do you, um, how do you take people and help to blend the generations? Because obviously you're, you're correct as let's say a baby boomer. I was brought up in a different work atmosphere and not that I maybe wouldn't want to change or I like it all the way it is, but I do have a certain mindset and I'm probably a Monday through Friday. I know I'm supposed to be in at eight. I know I'm going to leave at five. I know I'm going to take an hour lunch in the middle versus now you have a millennial that's coming in and, you know, um, eight o'clock is, you know, if I'm there at eight 15, I'm still not late. I'm still on time or, you know, another, you know, my hours might be flexing because I'm checking my emails or my social media throughout the day. So how do you take those two different, totally different generations and how do you blend them so that you get them all on the same page, same messaging, going the same, the right direction for the company's sake? For people who were raised in a similar time and place, so let's just say boomers raised in the Midwest, <laughs> you know, like similar time and place, you're going to have similar outlooks and lenses on life. You know, your lens, the way you see the world is probably going to be similar. So in order to get people on the same page that are on different ends of the generational spectrum, we have to communicate our expectations. If people were not raised the way that you were raised, you can't expect them to read your mind. And so if you think for a minute, where did I get my outlook? Where did my definition of professionalism come from? For example, you're going to think back to, well, my mom always told me this and my dad always told me this. And my first boss said, you stay till the job gets done, you know, or somebody said to you, the first one in and the last one to leave. That's my hardest worker. You know, those types of mantras that were taught to a lot of baby boomers and Gen Xers years ago, that's deeply ingrained and it seems like common sense. The punctuality thing, right? If your hours are eight to five, why do you think it's okay to show up at 8.05 <laughs> instead of 7.59 or sooner? But in my workshops, all the time, I'll have a manager that says something like, you know, my first supervisor taught me that if you're not early, you're late, <laughs> you know, or if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. And some of that comes from military experience and, and things like that as well. But what I have found is that so many managers just think they should know better. That's just common sense. Who doesn't know that, right? I can give you a good example. At my first job, nobody told me that I had to keep my shoes on all day. <laughs> so I would kick off my cute little high heels about three o'clock and just walk to the copier barefoot. Now, I was in an office environment with carpet and about 10 people, so I didn't think it was a big deal, but there were women in the office talking about me behind my back saying, she's so immature and unprofessional, but they didn't come tell me 
They just talked about me behind my back and it was not in the handbook. It was not covered during orientation. No one mentioned keeping your shoes on at the office. And I just thought it wasn't a big deal because I'm in a more frame of mind where we're all friends here. You know, I didn't see it as the hierarchy that the previous generations had seen it. So a lot of what we teach is We have to communicate our expectations as organizations and as leaders communicate more clearly than we have ever communicated before because you have workers who were not raised in the same time and place that you were. They didn't have the parenting and the upbringing that you had. And let's be honest now, especially in the lower wage workforce, which is a lot of my work um, with the lower wage workforce, they may not even have an example of a mom or dad who got up every day and went to work with their ironed or pressed clothes and that they were professional talking about punctuality. Now we have, you know, 20 year olds out there that have no role models of somebody who, who really followed the traditional sense of professionalism and work ethic. And then they come into our work world and we're like, what? Why aren't you wearing your shoes? Wait, wait, wait. You wore that to work today and you think that's okay? Why are you dropping F-bombs in front of a client or customer? Like, you can't do that, you know? And it's just because they don't know what they don't know. And it is super easy to judge, right? We can totally judge and say, she should know better, or that's just common sense. I should not have to tell her that. Well, guess what? We do have to tell her that. We got to be super clear and right up front about it. And and in a less judgy way, but just really helping people understand what the expectations are uh, that are unwritten. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that one. And I, and I think it's interesting um, to hear you talk about this because I think a lot of the examples you were giving, like I've, I've seen a lot of those <laughs> that come in and you are correct that uh, we don't always, we assume everybody knows what we think we should know or what we know. Um, and that is not true. Mm-hmm. And that is probably one of the harder things to train younger staff on when they come in is because they come in with the mindset of um, even my ones that I, I'm training to train others, uh, they, again, they think they shouldn't have to say those things. And then they don't understand why somebody doesn't follow through or doesn't do it. And my question them always to them is, did you explain it? Well, of course I did. No, did you actually say it and give an example? And that's exactly what you wanted out of it. Well, I didn't do it like that, but I mean, we talked about it and I'm like, no, that doesn't work. That's not the way it goes. That's not the way it goes. (laughs) So I think you were right on track with that one. Um, How, how do you see with COVID? How do you see things kind of changing right now in the workforce? Because obviously we're all working from home a lot more. Um, and it is harder when your team is not there in front of you uh, to make sure everybody is staying connected and to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, and at your schedule, of course, and you've, a lot of us have kids running around in the background. You know, you're trying to flex your schedule. And I'm sure for a um, even a more structured environment, that is a challenge when you're trying to give everybody the flexibility they need with this situation. But yet, keep your company running in full throttle production mode and being efficient. So what are some things that you're seeing on your end for that? Yeah. So what we have found is 
we are far enough into COVID now that companies are having to deal with it and figure it out and move on. You know, at first it was just chaos. <laughs> What's happening and what policy changes do we need and things like that. And now we, you know, a lot of companies are kind of in the groove of things and they have figured out the flexibility components of that. Uh, from a training standpoint, we have seen training shift from, you know, where most of our clients in the past wanted a half day, a full day at a time, or a couple hours here and there, we're moving more to micro learning and really making learning and education bite-sized and spoon feeding it to people in between their projects and their role, you know, their role and responsibilities. So we've started creating a lot more video series, if that's a word, <laughs> but series, you know, a different series of videos for management, for staff. In fact, talking about, um, you know, communicating the expectations, we just had a client ask us to make a video series of two minute videos about professionalism about watch your language and punctuality and attire and communication and things like that. So we're starting to build out a lot more programs for managers and tools for managers to train their staff um, to bridge all of those gaps, but it's all going into bite-sized type things. So I think that's going to be a big part of the future is not only are we remote and so we can't necessarily get people into the same room at the same time, um, which we can of course do Zoom and other virtual, live virtual things, but I think a lot of it's going to become more on demand um, with the training and expectations. And I would encourage companies to do the same even with their handbook and their in-services or their internal expectations and training and onboarding and things like that. Make things into micro learning chunks that you can stack together. You know, if they have an hour, great, let's stack a few together. But if not, they just watch 10 minutes a day and they get those things or two minute video at each staff meeting. And that's how we built the professionalism series is so the manager can just show the two minute video on a phone or a tablet and then they can talk about it for a couple minutes and then move on. And it's a five-minute learning opportunity that's just built into their training and their days. So I definitely think training is going to shift, including onboarding and whatnot. Another big piece of the puzzle is checking in with your people, not just checking on them like are you doing what you're supposed to be doing and what's the status of that project but also checking in with them how are you <laughs> how are things at home i mean i have some staff that have children some who don't and it's a whole different ball game managing the folks who are trying to have e-learning kids in the background versus not um, and so we need to just check in with people, especially we're seeing mental health issues skyrocket right now from stress, depression, anxiety, all of those things. And we as managers, even though some people shy away from that and it's like, well, I'm not your therapist, I'm your boss, <laughs> you know, but if you don't understand what is keeping your people up at night and you don't understand the 24-7 world that they're living in, whether it's worried about the e-learning kids, worried about a vulnerable parent during COVID, worried about, you know, an animal that 
is on its last legs, you know, like that kind of thing. I mean, whatever it is that's stressful for them at home, you better believe they're bringing that brain into your workload, you know, into your workplace and into their workload as far as not being able to focus as much. So I really encourage you during this time to check in with your people and, and, be genuine about it. How are things? And is there anything you want to talk about or that I can help or support you with? So, so Carrie, I want to kind of, uh, uh, kind of attach on to what you were talking about because people are working at home and there's a lot more stress there because of kids and, you know, a lot, a lot of things going on, people working from home and they're, you know, they're not attached to their coworkers. Do you see the, um, uh, more need to teach around emotional intelligence when you're doing training? Absolutely. Emotional intelligence of just being able to read the room and pick up on the stress that those around you are having to be more supportive of that. And more than anything, we're teaching a bunch of classes on resilience right now because people are hitting the end of their rope. They're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I mean, in many cases, we had thought we were coming out of COVID and another spike, and we thought we were coming out of COVID and another spike, you know, and things like that. And there's so much uncertainty uh, for this year that people are really stressed about it because it's uncertainty at home. It's uncertainty out in public. It's uncertainty, um, you know, at work even, and companies are still doing mass layoffs. You know, we, we made it as long as we could guys, but now the market's not coming back or we have to shift our business model and things like that. And we're going to continue to see that in different industries. So I absolutely think that, yes, we have to, um, to really keep that top of mind. So this this has been a not to not to say in the least a challenging time. Um, and I know that you coming from the event world and you know what that is. And in a sense, you're kind of, you know, your core was in the event world with the public speaking and such. So you've off, you've actually been severely impacted by this as well. Absolutely. So this is a I always like to say it's a great time to, if you've got the grit and you have to learn how to pivot. So are things that you're doing right now um, with your company? Are with the restructuring, with the bite-sized info, because you can't be in front of people? Are those some new directions where you're, you're taking your company right now? And what are some things that, um, some struggles that you found with on your end that you've had to, hurdles you've had to overcome in order to get that off the ground and get that launched in the right direction? Yeah. So COVID was pretty devastating for our business because, uh, as you mentioned, we do a lot of public speaking out at conferences, which were almost all canceled or rescheduled, postponed. A few went virtual, but most of them were just pushed back or consolidated, you know, their spring and their fall of it together type of thing. Um, and then even in the training world, because everyone immediately was forced to work from home uh, and everyone was figuring out how to do that we really struggled to book training programs because even though people know that management training is needed, we need to continue evolving and developing 
that is not as important as reworking your policies to protect your people, you know, and having to do that kind of thing. And we do business in all different industries. We, we work with management in all different professions, but we happen to have a good slice of our business in senior care, which of course has been hit terribly by COVID and they're literally been on lockdown most of this time. And so with that being a big chunk of our business, that was also halted. So we, we did so many things to pivot. We built a virtual studio so we can do high quality live virtual or pre-recorded programs. We've built a lot of those video programs, video-based series um, that we can pre-record and edit and prepare for the clients. We have added the classes about managing remote workers and resilience. Um, we have been teaching classes about how to use Zoom for your own meetings and training and how to be more interactive and engaging with that. So we've been meeting the client needs in that way. Um, but I believe more than ever that retention and management effectiveness are going to be top priorities in the next 18 months. They are going to climb back to the top of the priority list once we have COVID under control and or behind us, you know, whatever that looks like, that I believe no way is retention going away as a problem. I mean, companies are going to continue to hire um, and maybe certain industries won't be hiring as much, but then people just career hop and go to other industries. We even saw this year, the K economy this past year of some businesses like the delivery businesses and whatnot were just booming and doing well and thriving during that time while other businesses were on the other side of the K and tanking, <laughs> you know? And so I do think there's going to be industries and businesses that absolutely, when their budgets come back to fruition, <laughs> you know, regular kind of budget, they are going to say, we need management training now more than ever because we have shifted and some people don't know how to manage remote workers and some people don't know how to communicate with a team they can't see um, or lead virtual trainings and meetings and uh, and really keep the staff that that we want to have. So, um, so we'll still stick in our lane, you know, stay in our lane as far as retention and bridging generational gaps and making managers more effective, but we have pivoted in the delivery mechanism. Uh, we've also created some online courses that are just on demand. So that's been helpful as well. I think you're, uh, I think you're right. I think it's a, uh, we talk right now, it's a feast or famine right now. Cause everybody, the way things are, and it's a, it's the roller coaster effect right now, but when this COVID does go and when people are more in the, I would call somewhat normalcy at that point, you're going to have a huge, right now you've got a huge influx of people that, you know, maybe you had to lay off for your business, but now you're going to need them all back because your business is going to come back hard and fast. And now how do you get those people back? Or maybe the ones that I know you've talked before about your trees, right? The ones that have been with you forever, a lot of them have decided to mm -hmm. retire at this point, thanks to the situation. Or, you know, they had to go find other places to work because perhaps this industry couldn't afford them their jobs to come back right now. So you've lost some of your key people. Well, now you're going to come back, you're going to come back hard and fast. And now you've got a, another whole problem of you've got to train a new group of people coming in as quickly as possible to ramp them up 
to execute your, you know, business at the level or at or better than where you were before all of this hit. So I do think that you have a a big market that's getting ready to open up. I think we're kind of all sitting here in a wait and hold atmosphere. Well, I do think a lot of things will change. I do think there will be more online training, you know, so you do have an opportunity to grow. Hopefully you can monetize that somehow going forward. So, uh, right. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Denise. So, um, what is it? I always tell, I say, well, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So there will be a lot of good things that do come out of this at some point, uh, the way it does circle back around. So, so tell us a little bit. One thing to, to close with on Kara is, is I know that you, I think you're, well, I'm going to let you tell us, what do you think your unicorn is um, with regard to, to the industry and where you're at and what you do? Oh, my unicorn. Well, I think we all struggle to, to find the balance between um, peace or happiness in our lives with the money that we want to make and the time that we want to have, the free time. And to me, a unicorn would be finding that perfect triangle balance between, you know, making the money and having the the home life and free time, quality time with my family, as well as the happiness and following my passion, doing what I love. So usually I can find two of the three of those at any given time, but not usually all three at the same time. So that would be, that'd be my unicorn. So you're probably not alone with that one. So I think a lot of people strive for that same thing that you just described right there. So when you figure that out, you can probably really monetize that big. <laughs> so tell um tell tell our audience how they can get a hold of you if they have any questions they want to follow up with. I'm on LinkedIn, Kara Soletto. It's Kara with a C. And you can, of course, visit our website, wereduceturnover.com and find us on any of the social media platforms, including YouTube. And I'll just put in there too, if you ever have a chance to see Kara speak, she is a very dynamic speaker and will definitely keep you entertained when you listen to her. She's, she is uh, active on stage to say the least. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and uh, lots of great insight to the workforce. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And remember to check out Michelle's events and catch extended interviews with our guest, at myemmystory.com. Let us know that you are enjoying the podcast and how we can help you. Friend or message us on Facebook at My Me Story Podcast. Yes, that's four separate words. Again, My Emmy Story Podcast with an S. Remember to grow your own story each day by living your life in the moment. Have a great week. We will see you next Thursday. 